Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. The band is back together. Joel has returned and Rafael Nadal is in the semifinals after a five-set victory over Denis Shapovalov. Joel, I feel like I just got to gotta give you the floor. No, no setup. Um, do you have anything to say to the people? It's very nice to be back. I missed being on the show. I was busy relocating, and that's very exciting and a lot of activity, but it's, um, it's great to be back. Um, you guys were great in my absence, some really terrific guests and uh, lots of thoughts, and it's fun to be back. And I think as a, as a, left-hander, how, as a left-hander myself, how fitting that we're going to look back on uh, a match of two lefties between Nadal and Dennis. Yeah, that's right. So Nadal struggles with uh, the heat in this one after the first set. I think the opening set was a, an incredible level by Rafa. But Amy, how, how could he get through this match? Why did he get through this match despite not being able to, uh, to move much? And uh, just it was a struggle physically. He took his time, Gil. <laughs> he <laughs> took his time. I mean... If there's anything that we have learned about Rafael Nadal, it's that he has his way of doing things and he is going to run down that shot clock. But really, it starts before that, because I've written about this before. It starts, not a lot of people know this, but it starts before the competitors even take the court. Rafa is not going to be the first person out for the coin flip. You are. He's going to make you wait. He's, he's going to wait, wait, wait. And then he'll come out um, between changeovers. Time will be called. He will stretch it. And between first serve and second serve, it's there's no clock. So he's just going to wait, 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 bounce, bounce, bounce. And uh, Shapovalov, it was like easy pickings to get this guy going and get him upset I mean it was like taking candy from a baby and uh, he took the bait and he got very upset Uh, it started to start the second set and um, then he Shapovalov got very upset when Rafa took the medical timeout right before the fifth set and uh, Rafa broke immediately so um, that's that's what he does but I will say he plays within the rules. He walks right up to the line and he plays within the rules. Dennis has a real um, upside, I think, in his match energy management departments because he did. He played well to obviously get back in the match and take it to a fifth set. Um, there's a saying a pro said to me, he's talking about another pro. He says, you know, sometimes this guy was so convinced he had to hit big shots, he couldn't take a match when it was being handed to him. And not that Rafa was handing it to it all at tennis, but you could see when Nadal was wavering, you know, his energy, particularly throughout that fourth set, was really going. And sometimes I think Dennis tries to hit so big all the time, you know, and 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 big returns. And and sometimes I think, I don't know, I guess it's the calibration of getting the ball in play, making the guy run, 
also subduing the energy. You're playing the Tao, and the Tao is not going to change his between point rituals for anyone. So, the yeah. fascinating match, really very engaging. I agree, and just the the focus. Okay, it's a four hour match, and you gotta you have no there's no substitutions, so you have to focus for four hours, and that's something that every each and every one of our three are great at because I don't think you can be a really good player without the ability to to do that and Dennis really did seem much more in contrast up and down distracted at times just not focused at times when it with his tactics uh, he said after the match that he didn't didn't notice that Nadal was struggling physically which uh, I don't fully blame him for I get it because it's not like he's peering on the other side of the court and perhaps even if Nadal's forehand speeds went down and he wasn't moving quite as well maybe Shapo would have just thought well it's hot I'm getting him tired and not thinking much more of it but at the same time there just feels I, I agree Joel it felt like Shapovalov didn't have a pulse on that match because he didn't need to do as much as he was attempting to do and as a result the unforced errors were were the killer for him how do you not read that energy i mean you see some of Nadal's shots i mean here we were uh, half a planet away and not and seeing how some of Nadal's depth some of his angles some of his movements, some of his misses were at extreme. I mean, you could see him, you could, and you could, I, that's an interesting thing about how Dennis, how a player reads the energy of the opponent. And you can't read it, overread it because you got to pay attention to your stuff. But at the same mm -hmm. time, it's just interesting how Dennis didn't get himself, and he certainly started the fifth terribly. I mean, this happens, this happens. We see this a lot in tennis, right? The guy makes the comeback and now he's even the match. And then he kind of has a, a natural kind of letdown. Well, you can be darn sure that if Novak or Rafa himself or Roger were playing someone and he perceived that that opponent was struggling physically, he would, any one of our three would take it to him, put the pedal to the metal, really dial it in. Um, so the fact, you're right, Gil, the fact that Dennis claims that he didn't see that Rafa was was struggling, then that's your problem, Dennis. And um, I mean, Rafa had a career high 11 double faults in this match. Something was off. Um, and it may have been a function of Rafa trying to go for too much on his on his second serve, but you know, it all worked out in the end. Let's get to the double faults in a, in a second, but what about Rafa asking to play in the day and then the heat becoming a big problem. I mean, obviously, probably in hindsight, he he wouldn't have made that request. And he would have said, oh, let's play at night. But uh, he likes the daytime conditions because the court's lively and his forehand really is uh, very effective in the daytime with, with how it jumps off the court. And we see how he likes to play first strike tennis off of his first serve. And especially against a guy like Dennis, who doesn't return great. I, I could see why he wanted the day. No, normally he likes the heat, but it's kind of funny how that came back and, and became a problem for him. Yeah, that's interesting. And Adal, you're right. The, I mean, the, the court speed, that, that time of day, that's a neat time of day at the, I always like that time of day at the majors, that period from about, three to six and the sun is moving and it's uh it's a it's a very evocative and uh it's it's nice the day's gotten on on its way towards night but uh 
Yeah, Nadal, it, it was really hot there yesterday. I mean, it was nearing 100 degrees. And and I think to to look at the serve thing, I think Nadal's legs, I mean, I think you get a little weary. I mean, I think when you when a, when pro tennis players double fault, it's not because they don't know technically how to serve. It's it's the legs not giving them the, the strength they need to really do it. And they kind of arm it and just doesn't work as well. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that's a that probably a good explanation. However, if you look at the long-term trends, this is something that I think should be looked at. But uh, Nadal's double fault rate was a career worst in 2020, but it wasn't bad at all. It was 3.4%. He was serving more aggressively. I, I thought that was a, a good serving year for Nadal. Last year, it was up at 4.9%, and I thought there were matches and moments where the double faults were were a real issue. And in this match, hitting 11, and I don't know what the rate was at the end of the match, but I think it was around 10%. That's obviously too many um, by no matter, you know, unless you're going for second serves like Maxime Cressy, that's too many. So I do think there's a, a pattern there that, Nadal will want to reverse. He'll want to get back into that 2020 range of kind of like a 3.5%. Well, let's go back to the X's and O's of these, of this match. Uh, he's playing with another lefty. So his common play that he likes to do of the wide ad court serve is not quite going to generate the traction for him the way now he's going to, in the semi, he's going to play Berrettini. Ah, uh, okay. Here we go. Back to, back to usual. Yeah. Before we, you know, get two X's and O's, though, I don't want to quite leave this issue of the time that Nadal takes without, like, getting you guys' take on this, because yeah. a lot of people are asking me, is Rafa cheating? Is he, you know, uh, going outside the rules as they are set? If, if you ask my opinion, um, and I like to call him like I see him, um, he is walking right up to the line. And I think sometimes he'll test the chair umpire to see what are you going to let me get away with? And, and there's a lot of discretion there. And um, just to throw this in there, of course, Carlos Bernardes, who officiated this match, and Nadal, they have a history. In 2015, um, they got into it a little bit when uh, Bernardes, I believe, gave him a code violation and Rafa ended up having to change his shorts on court in front of 7,000 people. Rafa then asked that Bernardes not be put on any of his matches. They made up, they talked, they were all good. Bernardes actually had a heart attack uh, several months ago. Rafa said some really nice things about him and, and they were all good. So the last thing Carlos wants to do is get into another dust up. So, you know, since 2015, Rafa's won a lot more slams and he's going to get the leeway, Dennis. Like, and I, I, if you ask me, no, Rafa's not cheating. There's one area though, where I think he needs to be watched. And that is that it's the game is supposed to be played at server's pace. That's a rule. And you will see sometimes, I didn't see it in this match, but you will see sometimes as the receiver, as the returner, Rafa will put his, his arm up like that, like, wait, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm still doing my stuff. Um, that is not within the rules. So that one I do think needs to be watched. Oh, you can say the server, you can sometimes say the server, I'm not ready. You don't have to automatically scramble and get there. You can do that, but you're right. This That's a, a vague area. If you do it 
if you're doing it constantly, you got to have a little, hey, what's going on here? Because, mm -hmm. you know, servers can't quick serve. I mean, you can't just quick serve. You got to right. well kind of set. But, uh, but Nadal, look, these, these great players, and we, we watch them so closely because they play so many matches. They do so well. You see the ways they kind of like, yeah, push the rules, just like Nadal, like the waiting, the waiting to go out there. And then he's jumping up and down and then he's running. It's like he's creating his environment. He's creating his environment. And there's this kind of hierarchy of excellence within the game that people comply to. I guess my issue is if you look at the average time between serves, Nadal was at 31 seconds at the time of the complaint. Shapovalov was at, I think, 28 or, or maybe 29. And I think they showed it twice and it might have been both. So two second difference, really? Uh, that seems to take the credibility out of the complaint. And also, there's a serve clock now. There's a shot clock that I like to call it a serve clock. There's no, it's not a shot clock. But anyway, <laughs> like, wasn't that supposed to remove this? from the sport, this whole thing. So, I mean, I understand, you know, it's when the umpire calls the score, but like, to me, it's, it's finding something to complain about. I, I don't, I don't see a lot of meat on the bone for Shapovalov to grab onto here and complain about. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this is also, this was meant to change things to right. When does, this, when does the serve clock start? When does that start? Oh, I have to get my towel now. Remember this, we're, we're in the, we're in the yeah. COVID era of getting your own towel and there are these certain things. And these guys are so used to their ritualistic 27 seconds, 29 seconds. They're so dialed in on that. And then, and then you add in ex excessive heat and the need to gather a little time before. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a interesting deal. We, we won't go long on this, but I just want to see, are we pro serve clock here? Yeah. 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 No, mm -hmm. we can't go long. We can't go more than 30 seconds on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I just want to say um, also that uh, Dennis said to Carlos Bernardes, you guys are all corrupt. Um, Dennis could have very easily been given a code violation for that. And there yeah. were there were some antics at one point. He stopped everything and called Nadal to the net. 
that's not really in the rules, you know, so, you know, the, like the goose, like the gander or what, you know, whatever the expression is. So, what is the expression? Yeah, I didn't know. I, I don't know. There's something with a goose and a gander. You know, <laughs> something my mom says. No clue. <laughs> Um, Never heard of it. For, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. That's okay. what it is. All right. Um, uh, I think for Dennis, this gets to Dennis's match management thing. I think you, you, I'm calling him corrupt, getting caught up. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Get your first serve in. Make some more of these returns on break points. You know, quit, quit with the extracurricular things. And of course, when this happens, and it's, it's so, this is why the game, one of the reasons the game is so great it's a little bit like the same thing we even see in recreational tennis where people are complaining about, hey, these aren't the right balls, you know, or, or it's windy or, oh, I, I, left my, I left my power drink in the clubhouse. I mean, these <laughs> kind of things that happen. And so obviously these are meant to, this is Dennis kind of like reacting to the pressure in kind of like in these sideways yes. ways instead. Yes. And, and see, and what Nadal, what the champions do, I'm not gonna react to the pressure. I'm gonna dictate the terms of the pressure. So I'm going to create these rituals that I will control. That's how they that's how deal, that's how they deal with it. Whether it's back in the day, it was going to the towel or fiddling with the strings. All these things are see. But this is my house. So so Dennis has got to learn his his way of managing that and keeping the even keel. Because otherwise, he's gonna he's gonna spike. And his game lends his game is spiky enough anyway, which makes yeah. it exciting. I mean, God, that guy. He burns fuel. He's like a big F-14 or something, F-15. He's just amazing. I agree with, with all of that. I will say in terms of what he did after the match, when he sat down in front of the press and really doubled down on all of his sentiment that he had on the court, I, uh, I do hesitate to go too hard on and read into too much of, of what he said because he should have been absolutely distraught with losing that match based on how it went. And you take a, you take someone fresh off the court and ask them about these things. You do need to give them a little bit of a pass for being irrational in that moment. Because again, I mean, if I'm Dennis, he's, he also cracked a racket after match point. I would have been more concerned if Chapo wasn't really uh, furious with himself. That would have been more concerning to me than uh, had he been basically, I mean, he should have been disgusted with losing that match. So the fact that he was, I think is actually a good thing. Well, but then it's how you then manage it. I mean, yeah, upset. Yes. But where do you go with that? And how do you really learn from it? I think that the challenge for players and hopefully Dennis then will like peel away all the emotion, all the, the anger and the victimization and the rough of this and the that, and just, okay, what's the business lesson here? What's the business lesson right. here? What's the lesson that I can really learn and go to work on and put that in and, and pull it and push aside the emotional aspects of it and just get down to working. And that's again, to get back to our three, that's why they're the three, because they've all done that. And the great players do that. They, they, they peel away the emotion, they take away the upset and they get back to work. And so I hope, I mean, Dennis, I'm, I'm constantly impressed by how someone who plays like him continues to generate some outstanding results because this is a guy who, who drives every one-handed back and he ever hit in his life and drives returns and so much energy. 
He's a, a very, very unique player to watch. We'll move on. Um, one more, one more thing, Amy. Should Dennis apologize? No, I, I nah. I, I think um, maybe to Carlos Bernardes for calling him corrupt, um, but <laughs> not not to Rafa. Um, Dennis is. This is why Dennis is Dennis, and he's never been in the final of a Grand Slam because you know he's he's not there yet with his emotions and his court conduct and you know how to I mean the, the whole time I was watching this whole thing I was thinking Rafa has this sort of neutral to stern look on his face but what he's thinking is probably I got this guy right where I want him he's fallen right into my trap so now players like Shapovalov need to take note of how Rafa handled that situation and do that yourself well and, and compete and competes and when you get kind of upset about all these other factors you're not really giving yourself the best chance to compete and I think Dennis I I like to think that players who were that high up the mountain as Dennis and others are that they know that it's just that they learn it yet at another level now I'm playing the 20 time slam champ I mean in the in the big arena and we're in a fifth set and it's really hot and how do I then gather myself to compete effectively so I don't end up writing my story about how I got uh, victimized by some by all this stuff by the world was conspiring to keep me from from winning and how I really go about do it and I hold hope I like I, I mean Dennis he's he, I, sometimes I nickname for him, he's like live ball he's like a live ball player he just is like hitting shots and going big and it's and it's good and he improves and he's and he's more fit and he's comfortable he's getting more comfortable with the net and so It'll just be interesting to see how he continues to, but how he now the that's the emotional piece too, the, mm -hmm. the energy management. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears to the semi, but before we talk about Matteo Berrettini, who beat Gail Monfils in a five-setter with the same scoreline almost that Nadal beat Shapovalov with winning the first two sets, losing the next two, and winning the fifth. What about just Nadal's physicality in general? And I don't know if we've talked enough about how, how we're interpreting this, this heat issue. Does it mean anything going forward? Is it, is it a product of the preparation and how few matches he's played in the last six months? And is there any concern going into the semifinal? But, you know, I, I was thinking, I guess, in context that in the Tsitsipas match in Australia last year, the same thing happened where his energy was really pretty low in the second half of that match. In the Djokovic match, we know how his energy was basically depleted in the fourth set at Roland Garros. And now I was, I was almost thinking, oh my God, it's, it's a, kind of a third in a row where the energy is an issue. And this time you had the heat, which luckily I think everyone was relieved to know that that was the reason, nothing else. But how are we interpreting the, the physical challenges that that Nadal faced in this match the only thing I can do is go by what Nadal himself says and after the match he said yeah I, I got sick it was you know like a heat stroke type of situation but I got my treatment I got over it I felt good and I feel good right now and he said two days rest will be perfect that'll be great I use that but physically I feel great that's what he said it's interesting. It's interesting in tennis. When a player is young, 
and just coming up, we, um, uh, we wonder how it's going to be for them because they're new to it. And so it's day to day. We wonder how maybe the emotional aspect of it, the physical we think they have. And then they get into kind of the thick part of their career and it's a quarter and it's a semi and here they go. And now they reach this other end in Nadal and we wonder he's day to day and we see and we don't know. And he says that, and of course, that's the, that's the proper thing for, like, he wouldn't say anything else. He wouldn't say anything else. He wouldn't say, well, you know what? Gee, am I tired? Boy, this feels a lot different than when I beat Fernando Verdasco in five, six, three, 13 years ago. I'm not 13, you know, I'm older now, but say that, but on the face, that, that extra day, those extra day, that'll help. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of see, we'll kind of see, and then we'll, we can dig into a little bit more of the whole, the whole Berrettini question, because Berrettini, there's certain things that Berrettini does that remind me of Dennis and certain things he does that don't, but yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't worry about recovery. That's just, that's just me. I think recovery isn't going to be an issue with two days. I still, I will say, you know, I have lingering questions about if there's a 2019 U.S. Open final-like match between Nadal and Medvedev in the final. Is Rafa going to have the physicality? And by the way, it's not about age for me. It's really not. It's about his preparation, not, um, not really being what it would normally be. I mean, he is still a player who is coming off injury and probably, uh, you know, maybe he's at a hundred percent fitness, but would it really shock me if he was at 80 or 90 and, you know, you just don't know until, until he gets in a real war where he has to move a lot. The points were very short in this match also. So hopefully in moving forward or not hopefully, but the, the points are likely to be longer, but hopefully it's not as hot. So we'll see what happens, but that's, that's definitely something to watch. As far as Berrettini as a matchup, let's get into that. It's uh, they've played one time before it was at the U S open in 2019 and Nadal won in three sets, but Berrettini Berrettini has developed a lot since then. So Joel, how do you think Djokovic and Berrettini match up stylistically? Nadal. Nadal, and I think it's a. Uh, what did I say? It's a it's a neat match. I think you you, you went no you said Novak actually. Oh. It's a, but uh, I think. Guardian uh, slip. I think uh, Berrettini. I'm I'm so sorry if I can just interrupt. I'm so used to saying that yeah. they yeah. played three times in a row. Yeah. So uh -huh. yeah, same time next slam. But I think uh, I think first to get back to a little bit to to Dennis. Dennis can learn from Berrettini because Berrettini is a guy. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he seems to be a fuel burner, but what I'm really impressed, and I saw that as my feast match, he's becoming a more, a match manager. You know, I'm liking, I like a lot of what Berrettini does, um, how he manages his energy and the way he builds points. I mean, golly, and, and getting his way to net and the forehands. But I think from an X's and O's point, and maybe Amy, you can add more to this. Nadal sees that backhand, says, hmm, there's something for me there. There's a place I can go. Let's see what that does. Let's see what you got, Mateo. Gonna hit, guess how many cross-court forums I'm gonna hit. And our last guest who provides strategy for Berrettini was Craig O'Shaughnessy was telling us that it's can be a, a, a strategy against Berrettini or a game plan to put him in the backhand cage. And almost nobody's better that, at doing that than Nadal. Um, but specifically, they've been working on how Mateo can get out of that uh, 
locked in pattern. And, um, you know, one is to change direction. Another is to run around and hit forehand. And uh, you're right, Joel, he's improved. Berrettini has improved and, and he was already quite good. Look at the year he had last year. So I don't anticipate that it will be the straight sets dominant um, situation that was at the 2019 U.S. Open. And I was at that match and I wanted to see a good match. And it was a first set tie break. But beyond that, it wasn't a very good match. Um, and, and I think it will be a better match this time. Well, Berrettini's in that phase. Um, he's, he's improving by the month. I mean, he's been making so much, so much progress after the last couple of years. And uh, you know, it's funny, just a, a tip back to, to our buddy, Craig O'Shaughnessy. He's like the Nadal problem solver. I think he helped Dustin Brown beat Nadal at Wimbledon. He helped Novak. Now he's with Berrettini. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, anytime I got to play Nadal, call Craig. He's got, he, he and, and those are three different styles, Brown, Djokovic, and now Berrettini. And you're right. So the question is, how does he, has he get out of that cage and whether he, does he slice the backhand down the line, but does he slice it well enough to deny Rafa forehands? I think there are going to be some really fun patterns to this match. You've got two guys with great forehands. And then, and then I think Berrettini, we're no longer thinking as much about the nerve factor with him. I mean, he's, he's reached late stages. This guy's been to the U S open semis into Wimbledon finals. I mean, he's, he's played high stakes matches. He just, Monfils is a, is it can be a tough out and made a big comeback and Berrettini played a great fifth set to close out that match. So uh, I'm intrigued. I think that, but there is the X factor of Rafa, not just so much the recovery as much as then the performance and what, what's going on. What about the serve and what about his own nerves? I mean, Nadal has spoken frequently over the years about his nerves. Yeah. So first of all, I, I do want to, to echo the sentiment about Berrettini being an unbelievable player mentally these days. I mean, he is clutch. He plays the right way under pressure. He's an awesome competitor. So again, I second that tactically X's and O's wise. I, I don't, I just don't see what he can do. I think it's such a nightmare for him when the ball gets on his backhand. There's a couple things that I've noticed specifically about his backhand. First of all, when the ball jumps over his shoulders, he loses a ton of power he, he struggles to drive the ball hard. So players kick it up to his backhand and he doesn't miss that return. He makes it, but he just doesn't get a lot on the ball when you kick it to his backhand. And Nadal's forehand is basically a kick serve, right? So, but Gil, why, then here's why, the thing. Is, why is he having the success then? Like, because, why? because it's very, because it's very difficult. First of all, he makes the return, but it's very, it's not easy to get it to the backhand. But Nadal is the master at it. And again, against a lot of players, Berrettini, oh, he can slice. Slicing against Nadal is probably what you do if you have a death wish. I mean, it, it is, he is the slice killer of all slice killers. Berrettini is going to need to drive the backhand. That always leads to more errors. It's just... You know, the, he's never um, on the ad side. I think it's going to be really difficult for Mateo because he has a backhand return. Generally, righties just they just can't push him out as wide on the backhand. So now he has to hit a backhand outside, you know, outside the singles line very consistently. And he doesn't have 
the movement really to recover as well as maybe some other right-handers would. Uh, it's just, it's well, a bad puzzle for him. The mix of the, for example, when a righty serves a kick serve to the Berrettini backhand of the ad court, Berrettini can hit it back cross court at least to a righty backhand, which, mm -hmm. okay, Novak is one thing, but the other righty backhands, they may not hurt him as much. And then he's going to be in the rally. But then if you hit your return cross court to Nadal's forehand, unless you're productive with it, now he's, he can, he's instantly starting his, his sequence. And you're right. And Berrettini is going to have a lot. He's going to, he knows how many back, how many balls are going to come to that cross court corner. But what is, what is a way that, that this could kind of be sure. short, short circuited? Go ahead. Gil. Got you. On Berrettini's serve, Nadal is going to need to return exceptionally well in order to avoid that first forehand and, and Berrettini's early short point aggression. So as far as Berrettini being in trouble, that's mostly, you know, in, in my mind, a lot of that is on Nadal's serve. And I just, I, I think if Nadal executes and does everything perfectly, it's, it's, it's really hard for me to see Rafa not winning a massive percent of his first serve points, Berrettini being able to do nothing about it. But on Berrettini's serve, he gets that first forehand. Nadal needs to return unbelievably well to get the ball to his backhand when he's returning. So Matteo needs to... Mateo needs to take care of his own serve, which I think he can do, and then hope to just play a match in which the margins are really tight and he can get those mistakes and execute a little bit better than Nadal at the same, at the same game. At the end of the day, both players, when they get that, that first strike, that serve plus one, especially with the way these courts are playing, they're both going to have a lot of success. I don't think Nadal is going to be overly concerned with aiming his return to the Berrettini backhand. I don't think no. he's got overly, I don't think that's going to be, I think he's going to be concerned with getting his return deep and to the middle and maybe a little, maybe what he can, what he can do, you know, because that first serve of Berrettini is pretty good. It's, it's gonna, if Nadal, if, for example, Berrettini serves to Nadal's backhand in the deuce court, I don't think Nadal is going to necessarily think that he has to hit the return down the line. I think he's fine if he get the ball high, heavy, deep cross court and, and say, go ahead, Mateo. Really? You, you got, you got, you're going to hit, you're going to hit a big winner from there. I mean, I think it, it's going to be, it's an interesting form. We call it it's like a power chess game. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's like, if you just, if you look at it from far away, you just think big forehands, big shots, but there's going to be some really intriguing point building going on. I'm, I'm fascinated to see, for example, how Berrettini serves, where he aims his serve and how he builds his points and what he does to do that. And, and I'm fine. I'm really, um, I think he's a new kind of player. I think there's something Berrettini's bringing to the to the mix of the game, and it's it, interesting uh, to learn more about that. But I just I, I really enjoy watching him going about building. He's got the big serve, but he's got to manage the backhand and the forehand. It's very interesting. Well, Gil, remember our previous guest and your excellent question to him, which was in in zero to four shots, is it? that you're saying that, okay, the majority of the game is played within zero to four shots. Are you trying to be more aggressive or are you trying to never miss within zero to four? Do you remember what his answer was? If you listen very carefully. Survival. Survival. That's plus, right. Plus some offensive factors. I mean, you know, it's. 
Right, but it's a tug dig of war. a little deeper, dig a little deeper. There was something else that if you listen really carefully, what he was saying was that there's basically two, well, he said four different, but two yeah. different kinds of points that are played. And one is first serve points and one is second serve points. Completely different matches within the match, basically. So, um, you know, the, the points that are played on Nadal's first serve or Berrettini's first serve are one type of point, and then the match that's played on second serve points, that's where that's where the war is going to be fought. I agree with that. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. So then so then we gotta look and see what really goes on, how those second serve points are managed, probably by right. Berrettini most of all, because he's He's the underdog and he's got to figure out a way to problem solve Nadal, right? Because Nadal, we kind of have an idea of how Nadal plays his second serve points. Yeah, you know? in the Berrettini-Djokovic matches, the first serve points one have been very similar, both of them very, very efficient. It's the second serve points one where Djokovic has won those matches. Right, very interesting. This is going to be a five really looking forward to that match. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting match because you've got, you know, Nadal is the, is, is the experienced warrior and he wants to get to the finals again, et cetera. And, and here's Berrettini who's, who's in this ascent. That's the, that's the thing that's exciting about it. We don't know where the, where the limit is yet. And so he's in that stage of, of ascent and we're gonna see yet another, another quiz for him. You know, you, you guys just, I, I'm like thinking out loud and stuff is dawning on me now, but I, I, it was Gil that might've said that you know, a, a lefty forehand to Berrettini's backhand is basically a kick serve, but it's Joel that's Nadal's. actually. What did I say? Only Nadal's forehand is like a right. kick serve. I can't right. give most lefties right. that much credit. But his serve is not a kick serve. And it's Joel that has said to me that Nadal doesn't really hit a kick serve because he's a lefty. So I really do think that it's the second serve points, Nadal serving to Berrettini on second serve, that's the whole key to the whole match. Because it's not going to be the typical kick serve that rises to the righty's backhand. It's Nadal's second serve, which is, you know, he's the king of second serve points one, but it's not because of the serve itself. It's because of what he does after. So the question is, what does Berrettini that the chess game becomes, and we really dig into it. What does, how does Berrettini go about hitting those second serve returns? As opposed, like you look at, like Novak, for example, takes that second serve of the ad court, and he can drill it down the line and go and find the Rafa backhand and then begin to dictate. Berrettini, we're going to see, does he go wide here? Does he go there, there? Does he do what, what are the things he does? And, and I wonder, uh, I'm assuming that Berrettini's found a lefty to practice returns against for about, half hour a day you know, and hit about 200 of them i think dennis is available <laughs> dennis is on the next flight home Amy. <laughs> yeah, i'm dennis, sorry Amy. dennis i've been rough uh, <laughs> it's been a tough dennis show not a good dennis show uh m- one of one of my main critiques for mateo has been i want to see him be more aggressive on the second serve return just Throughout this, these early stages of his career, that's been a bone to pick uh, for me throughout. So let's see if he can do that. If he can not just be neutral, because neutral against Nadal, that's not great. Aggressive, offensive against Nadal, 
Now he's in a decent place. And by the way, Rafa's second serve return position and the things he's doing there, that has been a storyline all tournament. And we'll see how that goes after the match. We will uh, we'll dissect that and we'll see what these guys do tactically. Can't wait. That'll do it for this episode of three. We hope you enjoyed and remember that we're available on all podcast platforms. Leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. It's greatly appreciated. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.